Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Okay, everybody, welcome. Tonight is going to be our 23rd cheer. Baruch Hashem, everybody who's been here has been part of it. Um, it's really been exploding, and uh, we're very excited. Again, I want to thank everybody for telling people about it, posting on their WhatsApp statuses, sending it out. Uh, it's been, it's really blowing up. We're getting tremendous feedback. We're having uh, great turnouts, and I want to thank everybody. And I also want to give a special thank you to our advertising sponsors this week, Lakewood School for promoting here in Lakewood. I want to give a thank you to Robbie Yani from Chazak for advertising on all their platforms, Chazak Offers Programming for All. Please go to chazak.org. Special thank you to COL Live, Mika Sofer, actually tonight, this year is the Il Nishmas for father, also a good friend of mine, Moshe Katzen, Rabbi, Rabbi Katzen, we'll get to that in a minute. And a very special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN, Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the Jewish platforms. Um, as this, you know, it's going to be our last year before Rosh Hashanah. Actually, Rabbi Simon Jacobson was supposed to come on in the middle of August. I asked him for a personal favor to push it off to Erev Rosh Hashanah, because I felt uh, he would be the right person to lead us into the new year. I felt it was a topic that's going to be very... Uh, very interactive and very, very deep and meaningful. And uh, I asked him for a special favor. He said, thank you. And I appreciate it for that. And uh, tonight we really want to, I, me, forget about everybody, me, <laughs> I want to get gear up for Rosh Hashanah. And I want to have the, you know, after such a year, we have a lot to discuss. And I want to have the right machshavas and the right feelings as we get into Rosh Hashanah. Um, so again, from now till after all the Yom we'll be taking a break. Every Yom Tov Baruch Hashem Menachem this year falls on Sunday. So we will not be doing any programs till October 18th. Uh, and we have a jam-packed, I mean, we're booked till middle of December right now. Um, tentatively right now, the first shir will be Rabbi Elephant from the Mir, uh, coming to discuss how to raise healthy children after Yom which will be an amazing shir. We're looking very forward. Menachem, Coach Menachem, our host, please open up. Give everybody the opening, what we're going to talk about tonight, the overview. Open up. Thank you very much. Welcome, everyone, to another show. And let's get real with Coach Menachem. We're up to episode number 23, Baruch Hashem. And uh, I think it's the right time to give Shavach Vaidar for the Eibishter. Um, it's really unbelievable. This is, this is a dream that I never thought will happen. And here I am, Baruch Hashem, and Hashem Shehav Vaiter. I would like to thank all the sponsors and for all those who voluntarily gave donations. It really helps us to continue on our mission. And... Um, you can get the recordings from the past shows at MenachemBurnfeld.com and you can give donation over there too. Um, in just a few more days, there's just a few more days left to the year. And uh, what should I say? It's been a year. And if you're sitting here and listening to me now, what we should really be doing is singing and dancing to Hashem. Really thanking Hashem, despite all that's going on. And I believe because all that's going on, it's, we, we, we feel it more. Tonight's topic, are we a victim to our circumstances and how to be proactive in the upcoming year after what we experienced and talking to many people, I see there's a spectrum, some feel this year they'll have a much easier time to connect and daven. Some are a little bit at a loss, disconnected, too much going on and totally out of their control. Others have not thought about it much and are a bit scared. 
So going back a half a year ago around everything, you know, Baruch Hashem was beautiful. We were doing great. And Yiddishkeit, Bechlal, was flourishing and is flourishing and everything. The mitzvahs, hither mitzvah. The one thing that was missing was the person, the heart of the person, the connection. Because when you do something day in and day out, basically it becomes a routine. And uh, there's not much to think. We automatically do what we have to do and it's beautiful. But the problem is that it sounds more like malachim. They do what they have to do. But for us humans, it doesn't really work. After a while, we start feeling uh, whatever everybody feels, asking questions of why, what, where is this all going, what am I looking for? So really to stick to a routine after a while, we need to wake up and start refigure what we're doing. And that's basically what Hashem wanted from us. One of the things. He took the world and shook it up and still shaking. And basically almost everyone, no matter where you are and what you're experiencing, it's where we fell out of place. And uh, what happens is we want to go back and we have to start thinking where, what, when. And it's hard to think is not easy. We've got to meet ourselves, figure out things. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, talk about going to shul. Things were totally out of norm. School, work, with a spouse at home, jobs, no jobs. Everybody in their circumstance. And basically what Hashem says is, now, this is what I want from you. I need you. Let me see, what, what are you going to do now? Even the davening, some people daven more. Some daven less, with a minion, without a minion. It was, the routine was out the window. And basically that's what the, us humans need. The, and another pr- a problem is that us humans, we want to make sense of what's going on. And when we see things falling out of place, going out of norm, we try to put it back. We want it to get back into normal. We, don't, we can't uh, take all of this. And once you need to think, it gets hard. You're faced with all of these questions and you have to come up with answers, which till now was routine and you didn't have to think about it. If we can zoom out, move out a, l- a little bit and look with a bird's eye view, on what's going on, Bechlal in Yiddishkeit and in the world. And we should come with a clean slate as if we know nothing. And we see the world and we see what's going on, positive and negative. What are we doing here? I think we can see it from a different light. And again, it's not easy. And that's why I'm excited to have with us tonight Robert Jacobson, with his vast experience and knowledge, to guide us with some ideas on how to go uh, with the upcoming Rosh Hashanah with a fresh perspective, something that we've never experienced before and with a new light. Thank you very much. Thank you, Coach Menachem. Beautiful. Thank you for the beautiful opening. Tonight's year is being learned Lil Nishmas, a very good friend of mine's father, Moshe Katzen, and also Mika Sofa's father. Uh, his name is Reb Shmayo Ben Reb Yitzhak, whose first yard site was this, I think it was Friday or Shabbos. So this was from the Shir and the hundreds of people that are coming here tonight, and the thousands of people that will review it later online on YouTube or menachembarenful.com. It should be a big schuss for the Shama, and it should have a big aliyah. 
and we really appreciate it. Again, tonight's show was originally scheduled for August time. We brought back Reb Simon Jacobson to discuss Roshana, Erev Roshana the last year of this year. And uh, he's a world famous legend speaker and author and very well respected. And I wanted to give his bio and then we'll give it over to him. Reb Simon Jacobson is, is a pioneering speaker, educator and mentor to thousands. He's the dean and the founder of the Meaningful Life Center coined the Spiritual Starbuck by the New York Times, which bridges the secular and the spiritual. He is the author of the best-selling book, Toward a Meaningful Life, which has sold over 400,000 copies and has been translated into 13 languages. With his keen insight into human condition and in over 40 years of experience, he has a unique ability to offer clarity and direction, especially in difficult times. Since the pandemic crisis has disrupted our lives, Rabbi Jacobson and the MLC has lauded to it, created nonstop program nourishing people, hearts and souls. Simon, please open up. Thank you very much to Usher, to Menachem, to all of us here, to all of us together for the honor to say a few words, especially in this momentous time of the year as the curtain comes down on the year Tovshin Pei, 5,780, and we prepare for the new year, Rosh Hashanah Tovshin Pei Aleph. I want to just uh, say on a very personal note. Now, I grew up, as many of you, in, uh, we'll call it, quote-unquote, the Frum world. Went to yeshiva from the earliest um, 7 o'clock in the morning, coming home 9, 10 o'clock, the intensity of uh, a Jewish education. Growing up with all the minhagim and chumras, of, uh, of a very firm environment. And I have to say, you know, uh, since it's before Rosh Hashanah, it's a good time for Cheshbon HaNefesh, for soul accounting, a soul search introspection, that for many years when I was a younger man, I used to wonder, and be very honest, I used to wonder whether we're all doing this out of... Uh, in a mechanical way, by rote, out of habit. You know, every culture has its rules. And uh, perhaps we, in the Jewish world, have our culture. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But is it really something that we've chosen to do? Now, most people don't like to be called conformists. Nobody likes to be called a conformist. The conformist is someone that just follows, a follower that doesn't ask many questions, that doesn't challenge, that's comfortable with what's called herd mentality. These are questions I had as a younger man. I'm not gonna put it all in my, all my sacrilegious uh, terms, but I challenged myself, I challenged others, and I saw a lot of conformity around me, a lot of very fine Jews, very good people, but especially when it came Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, I was really troubled most because I saw people running to shul and Rosh Hashanah and with the machzer and, the, and, the, and all the hachonis to it, the preparation, the slichas, midnight starting the Mitzvah Shabbos before, that whole intensity. I remember my father schlepping me in a car 4 a.m. at Yom Kippur for Kapotis. It was so intense. And when you step back and you ask yourself, what is going on here? I don't see, necess I didn't necessarily see people who really who chose this. This is what they grew up with. Now, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but then you ask yourself, 
And if they didn't grow up with it, what would have been? And I say this because since we're coming to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and as uh, Menachem mentioned before, this past year has been very different than any other. We are challenged in ways. Some people told me, I cannot continue without going to shul. I just have to go to shul. And when I asked the question, so why do you go to shul? Because you want to go to shul or because Hashem wants you to go to shul? So one person told me, it's a very good question. I think it's more because I want to go. I, like, I want to see my friends all week. I've been working hard. This is my time. It's my social time. Some people have a kiddush club. Some people have the social scene. You know, everybody has their uh, reasons. And I'm not saying it to be critical, God forbid. The fact of the matter is that sometimes we're challenged. Are we doing it because this is our comfort zone? Or are we doing it because it's actually what God wants? And you know when you find out? When it's not the way you want it to be. That's where you find out. The Bala Tanya in Pedic Tezvov, the 15th chapter of Tanya. Very powerful chapter. It's an unbelievable lesson in life. Because when you start looking to it, into it, you see it's not just a lesson for a few people. It's a lesson in human nature. He cites there a Gemara Menachas that speaks about what does it mean to serve God? What means to be an Evid Elikim? An Evid Elikim, a servant of God. We're going to say in the davening Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we're going to say Avinu Malkeinu, we're going to say Im Kabonim, Im Kavodim, we're going to use the term Evid. What means to be a servant of God? And what means loyavodai, not to serve? So the Gemara Menachah says, it brings an example, that if somebody learns Teda, 100 times they review, Shena Pirkei, they go over it 100 times. It's a lot. How many people learn the same Gemara 100 times, the same one after one another? Very few people have that discipline. But in Zman Shas, in the time of Shas, that was the custom. 100 times. The Gemara says, because it's the custom, the routine, the regular pattern, it's called loya vodai. You're not serving. You're doing something by rote, by mechanical, like a robot. So fine, it's nice, but you can't call that work. You didn't make any effort. If you study 101, that one extra one outweighs the 100. Now, you can't get 101 without 100. But that one, you went out of your comfort zone. You went out of your regular routine. Then it's a sign that it's coming with an effort. It's not automatic. The Gemara Yerushalmi says that there was an Amir, he went into the shul, and when they said, he automatically bowed his head. Now, is that considered a positive or a negative? Initially, everyone would say, that's a beautiful thing. He's so trained. He doesn't even have to think twice. He walks into shul, he hears moidim. His, mind, his head goes down without even thinking. On his own, like automatic pilot. But if you think about it, it also has a very downside. That means it's, th it's thoughtless. It's what's called mitzvah And they're very, very harsh words in Tanakh in the book of Yeshaya and other places where Hashem speaks very harshly about someone. He says, I don't want you to do things by rote. It would be like someone saying to their spouse, I love you, and they didn't even think about it. I love you, I love you. It's like automatic. There's no feeling, there's no passion, there's no vitality. So this is a challenge, especially for those of us that grew up in Yiddishkeit. And chatasi ani maskir. I never said this really openly, but I'll say it here the schools of this uh, success of this program. 
I, for many years, gravitated to secular people. Secular Jews, I found it to be more challenging, but more gratifying, because I was not dealing with people who think they have God figured out already. Many of them probably would say they don't, know, they don't even know if they believe in God. Some would say, I'm not sure. These are people who have been alienated, or l'chatchila never associated with Yiddishkeit, what we call teneke shenishbu, akum. People didn't even know what Shabbos was. They didn't reject it. They don't even know what it was. I found it to be more, more challenging, but also more meaningful because it was very difficult to talk to Frumayid. Tell you why. Because they think they had to figure it out. They thought that their mechanical mitzvahs was it. Now, I'm not saying this, God forbid, in any condescending way, because I myself also grew up in this community. But I will say this, as time passed, I found that, listen, every human being on earth, including Frumi Eden, need to grow. We all need to grow, and we all need to be challenged. So I will say this, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur comes for many years. For me, it was mechanical. I'll be very honest. I did exactly what I did the previous year. The same tefillahs, same kavonas, same recipes, the same nigunim, the same inhogim. It was when I started speaking to people who, were, who never knew what Rosh Hashanah was. And I mean that. They didn't even know what the word meant. They didn't even know what a shefer was. Didn't know what Yom Kippur was. I remember doing a program in uh, Santa Monica in California. I did it with a musician who's a student of mine, Peter Himmelman, a son of another musician that some of you may know by Shaptai Zusha Zimmerman. Look it up, you'll find out who it is. So we did a program in Santa Monica. I remember it was in a, uh, a rented, they rented a big theater. It was called a high holidays for, for those that have, that are for the unaffiliated, meaning they have no shul to go to. It was packed. We didn't expect 1,200 people to show up. And it was, I founded the most meaningful Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Why? Because nobody took it for granted. There was nothing there that was a comfort zone. Everyone who came didn't even know what Rosh Hashanah was. I had to go out of my comfort zone because I had to explain it to them. Couldn't just say the tefillahs. And what happened was I realized that when you go out of your comfort zone, you know what you experience? What the good first Jew of all, Avraham Avinu experienced. Lech lecha ma'artzecha, me'meladetcha, me'beis avicha. Avraham Avinu, he's 75 years old. What did he achieve? It says in the Gemara that he was hikid as beta when he was already five years old. Different opinions, what age. But by 75, he was well on his way to be the greatest Jew. Or the first Jew, the pioneer, Echad Hoya Avram, Avram Eyavi, the one who started it all, who came to recognize God, not through revelation, through his own effort. And he, tra and he transformed the world. Avram Harishan, everything started after Avram. What was the first mitzvah? The first thing Avram was told, Leave your land, leave your birthplace, the home of your parents. Why is this so important? Could have said, the Ebishter tells Avram, go to Eretz Yisrael, and then I'll show you around, which is what happens. What do we need to know? And that Rizal says, this is the beginning of Matan Teda. Matan Teda actually happened later, but the beginning of the process of, is Lech Lecha. So one of the beautiful answers is because Lech Lecha is a command to each id, to each one of us. Go out of your comfort zone. 
is your natural habitat, home of your parents, your parents' attitudes, your society, your birth, your natural subjectivity. And it's interesting, when it comes to the destination, it doesn't say, it says, go to the land I will show you. When you give someone directions to travel, they know where they are. You have to tell them where to go, not where to leave from. And here, the Ebershta tells Avram three different ways. Leave your land. It comes to the where to go. A vague, the land I will show you. Where should he go? North, south, east, west. Ur-Kazdim was then in the place, basically, southeastern modern-day Iraq. So Hasidic teachings explain, because the focus in every journey is to know how to leave where you are because it traps you. So the Ebershta told them there are three types of negias, three types of subjectivity. One is natural, Adam cultivates Latzme. So we're all subjective about our own interests, self-interest. The second, that's Maladatacha. The second is Besavicha, is the parental attitudes, things your parents teach you, the pressures they put on you, the expectations. Very often you're afraid to go different than they, what they taught you. And finally, the social pressure. opens up. Why? Because the pressure from others that laugh at you, that mock at you, you want to belong. Everybody wants to fit in. You, you dress a little differently. Something, what happened to you? So there's three things we need to free ourselves from. And then the destination will emerge. The land I will show you, not Areka, the land. Areka, I will show you who you really are. So when someone asks you a question, who are you? How do you know you're not a product of circumstances? How do you know you're not a product of your parents, of your society, of your natural, natural subjectivity? How do you know? The only way you can know is if you go out of your natural habitat. How will you behave when you're not under the influence of those three forces? So that's what the Ebershta tells Avram. The land I will, you will reveal who you really are when you're not in the shadow of other forces and factors. The Baal Shem Tov has a Medidika Taich. He says, we say every day in Shemin Esra, so he asked the question, chronologically, it should be the other way around. First it was Alekei Avram Yitzhu V'yankiv. Then it's Alekei Avesenu. Then it's Alekei. Why do we say first Alekei and then Alekei Avesenu, then Avram Yitzhu V'yankiv? Starting from us, says the Baal Shem Tov, paraphrasing, that when we're born and as children, obviously, who teaches us about the Ebeshter, the Rebbein Shalelem, about God? Our parents our educators, our schools. That's when we're young. When we become adults and we start thinking on our own, the kavana is that you shouldn't be worshiping You should be worshiping You should own God. How does God relate to you? Are you doing, are you worshiping God because it's the God of your father and your mother? It has to be yours. Internalize it. Not mitzvah not mechanical, not because somebody told you. Yes, Kabbalah sale is very important. But then you have to make it a premium. It has to be yours. Own it. And then it becomes one with you. And that's only possible when we leave our homes, both the Gashmis and Baruchnis, when we cut the umbilical cord. 
And then you say, that the God that you've discovered, that you relate to, that you can say, I own, I, it wasn't just an inheritance. I'm just worshiping, I'm doing my father a favor, or I'm just following in the footsteps. Then you could say, my Elikeinu is the same Elikeinu of Elikeinu Vesenu, and the same Elikeinu Elikeinu Rom Yitzhak the same Ebershtit. But you're not just doing something from the past. You're not just honoring the past. You're honoring the present. Lekim Chaim, a God that lives right now, here and now. We're about to go to Rosh Hashanah. The Arizal says that right before Rosh Hashanah, something happens in Ruchnius. Most of us won't feel it. The whole world will go into a comatose state. It really says Durmita, a sleep, a type of spiritual sleep. Anticipating and waiting for its contract to be renewed with Abishtim. And as soon as Rosh Hashanah comes, either during the Tfilis or Tkia Shefer, this year's Shefer is on Sunday, but once we start, the contract is renewed and a new Oyer Chodosh, the words of the Balatanya in the Geras HaKedosh, Unprecedented new energy that never existed will enter into this stratosphere, into this existence. Which means, no matter what happened yesterday, no matter what happened this past year, the pandemic and all, is a new energy. This is the ultimate response to one of the biggest questions in history. Are you a victim of circumstances? Are you shaped by the past? Are you defined by the past? We all know we're shaped and we're influenced by the past, but are you defined by it? Are you defined by your experiences? Just because you suffered, does that make you a sufferer? And the answer unequivocally, what Yiddishkeit teaches us, that on, on, on Rosh Hashanah, the first Rosh Hashanah, 5,781 years ago, Odom and were created, Yechidi as individuals, B'Tselem Elikim, and we're told you control your destiny. No one else does. It's one of the greatest statements in human dignity that we are not a victim and not a product of circumstances. Yes, we grow out of circumstances, but we're not defined by them. And that's really what we celebrate Rosh Hashanah. It's ultimately the ultimate celebration of human individuality and uniqueness, but not our own, not self-made. Because precisely the Eibishter chose a creation of creating Vayikach Ofer Min HaDama Vayipach Ba'apov Nishmas Chaim on Rosh Hashanah. That's what he did. He took earth from the ground, molded it and shaped it, and then what did he do? He breathed into it the breath of life. Neshama is from the word Neshima, Nishmas Chaim Vayipach Ba'apov. Divine breath is the, is the human soul. Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam. And that's why we have the ability to rise above even the natural circumstances of our lives. There's no greater declaration of dignity than that. Because if you don't, if you're a victim of circumstances, then you can say, what can I do? Situation is hopeless. I can't do anything. I'm helpless. But that's not the case. Yidin knew this from the beginning of time. That's what allowed them to survive Mitzrayim. That's what allowed them to survive Golis Bovel and Golis Parusamadai and Golis Edem led them to survive the Holocaust because there was a spirit that cannot be vanquished because it's Ruach Elikim Nishmas Chaim, it's Nishmas Chaim, it's God's energy infused in each one of us. And that nobody can destroy because no one created. That is the ultimate celebration of Rosh Hashanah. 
So this year, it's precisely as Menachem said earlier, because we were out of our comfort zone, we have the tremendous opportunity to really find God like never before. A God that works for you, not just because you went to shul or you're doing it in a comfortable way or you found the right knish or, or, or cholent or, uh, or kishke that works for you or the Rosh Hashanah recipe. That's comfort zones. God bless everybody to have all their comfort zones. But comfort zones are not good for growth. They're not good for excellence. They're good for maintaining your comfort. They're good for maintaining the, the cycle. You, you want growth, you want avedi, you want something new, do something new. So I want to say, it's the concluding note in this opening part of this uh, beautiful program, that is a line they say, um, that they say that insanity is someone who's doing the same thing and expecting different results. It's an expression used today by uh, in the world of technology. It really comes straight from the Torah. It says, Kol yem chadoshim. Life, Torah, mitzvahs has to be done every moment like new. Not kediyut yeshena, like some old thing. We're just following by rote. Very often, it's very hard to get yourself out of a comfort zone. So the Ebrister blessed us with all the challenges and the Ebrister should send it a full shlema to everyone who needs it and give compassion and consolation to those, unfortunately, who lost family members and friends and, and loved ones, I include myself, many people in my community and other communities. But there's also a hidden gift here. He gave us a lech lecha that we never expected and never wanted, literally compelling us to challenge. Yes, you may not be able to go to Shul Rosh Hashanah. Maybe you could, maybe you can't. How are you going to do it? You gonna, can you connect with me? Or you need all the crutches of your structures and your institutions. Now, a shul is a beautiful thing. It's a migdash math, but no one denies it. But our sometimes getting comfortable with it doesn't necessarily mean we're doing a godly thing. We're doing what's comfortable for us. And therefore, we have now an opportunity for the first time maybe in history, such a global disruption. Tov Shem Pei Aleph, Rosh Hashanah, coming from Tov Shem Pei, is an un unprecedented opportunity for ourselves and our children to show that we can find God and we can find Hashem, we can find Rosh Hashanah and renewal and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and, and all the Yom Tevim all the way through Simchas Teda in a completely new way. The same Yom Tev, but it's now completely coming from out of the comfort zone. And when we do that, you know what we achieve? We achieve newness, something completely new because you did something new. So as they say, if you think what you thought and you say what you said and you do what you did, you know what you're going to get what you had. You'll, you'll have what you had. That's the mathematical equation. You think what you thought, you say what you said, you do what you did, you'll have what you had. You think a little differently. You, do, you say something differently in a better way. You act a little differently, then you have something that's new. So with that, I'd love to be able to say that, uh, and of course, we're going to talk a lot more, that everybody should have a very big but not just by rote, another line that we say every year. Truly, in a completely new, a new unprecedented way, new things should open up, and ultimately it should be the opening of what we're look, looking for all the time, which is the Gula Protis and the Gula Klolis of the Gula Amitis Vashlem. So that's my opening okay. remarks. Beautiful, really beautiful. Uh, the questions are pouring in the text. I'm telling everybody who's texting, take it easy. You know, we got to get the program going over here. 
Um, let's start off a little poll just to get everybody a little interactive. Again, everybody who's watching here now um, is an interactive program. We've been opened up. We're talking about you know Shoshana. This, this has been a definitely a special year this year, and uh, we're trying to really figure out a way how we could connect this year. Some people are very super connected, and some people are more disconnected. But we're going to get to that. Let's take a poll question, won't you? Okay, everybody, please answer the question. It's anonymous. Let's just get a feeling from the crowd. The first question is a good question. The second question we did just for fun. First question, based on the past year that we just experienced, what is your approach to this year's Rosh Hashanah? A, I'm ready to daven. B, I feel disconnected. C, I'm scared to think about it. D, Mashiach must come. Or better known, Mashiach is here already. <laughs> Choose one of those options. It's anonymous. Um, Sim, you can see the answers coming in, but nobody else can see it. We'll share it soon. And the second question is, if, if God asked you what needs to be changed in the world, what would you tell him? A, the economy. B, Trump needs to win the elections this year. C, just give me my money and I'll be fine. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. I'm laughing. Well, back, back to the Mashiach, the Gula Shlema. If you could just ask Hashem for one thing, what would you ask him to fix? Okay, let's go, everybody. Let's, go, let's get some votes. Let's see what we're holding. Simon, you seeing the answers come in? I see, I see. Pretty interesting, no? Yeah, I like it. Very good. Okay, five seconds, everybody. Vote. And again, I'm telling everybody who's texting me, again, people that ask live questions, they get, they get Kadima, they go first. And anybody that texts, I'll try to get to most of those questions. We also got a lot of questions emailed. We'll try to cover ground and really, really get a, a, really get a, good, a good, good share tonight. So let's end it, let's share it. Okay, share. Based on this, on the past year that we just experienced, what's your approach to Rosh Hashanah this year? The winning answers, I'm ready to dive in. 49% of people are ready to make this year powerful. 15% feel disconnected. 9% are scared to think about it. 27% Mashiach must come. Okay? Number two, if God asked you what needs to be changed in the world, what would you tell him? 2% said the economy. Wow, I guess the economy is doing so good. 12%, Trump needs to win the elections. Uh, where's, where's Biden? There's no option over here. I guess we forgot to put it on. Just give me my money and I'll be fine is 4%. And the Gula Shlema, 82% wins. Simon, obviously you have, a, you have a big Mashiach crowd over here. I'm just letting you know. Okay, let's it's, get to some. It's your crowd, not mine. I don't know. I guess I guess in Lakewood, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that want Mashiach also. Okay, let's get to some questions that came in. I, there's one. There's a few big ones that came in. I, I can't even look at them. They take me like five minutes to read them. Um, there's a few ones that we got came in that we think we're going to get. First question I wanted to ask you: As much as I try to change things in my life, it always seems that I gravitate back to my old habits. What could I do differently that will have a lasting impact? Rip Simon. So, so let me give you a brief and, and then a little longer answer. Not very long because we want to leave enough room for every, all the questions, as many as we can. I mentioned at the, the conclusion of my remarks now that you can't expect new things unless you do something new. The Ebesh Tikarav Rachmanesan always send a miracle. But it ain't same Chanal Anes. We don't rely on miracles. It's vital if you want change, and this is true across the board, people who are dealing with Lahavdil addictions, habits, bad habits, they all have the same problem. Once it becomes a habit, you can stop for a little while, but you always gravitate or often gravitate back. So the Teda approaches, it says in Svarim that there was a minig by certain rabbeim that before Rosh Hashanah, they would take on a new hachlota. It could be a new shir, a new mitzvah, a new hidr mitzvah, a new uh, tzedakah, 
action has tremendous power in life, in Torah, Maiso Eke, but also psychologically, because Ein Acher Maiso Klum. If you have good thoughts and good intentions, and you even say good words, it's nice. Action talks. So I would say the following. Instead of fighting a habit or something you can't change, start something new, become committed to it with a passion. Remember, passion is energy. When you invest passion in something, it automatically weakens the energy invested elsewhere. So that's one of the shortcuts. But you have to stick to it. I'm not talking about doing it one day. You start a new shir every day. It's not how long you do it. It's the consistency. Remember that Rabbi Akiva Moshal, drop of water, drop of water, drop of water, has much more power than a big flood because the consistency ultimately bears and changes habits. That's on the short response. And the bigger response, I mentioned lech lecha ma'atzacha. The, the key to, to, get, to not gravitating back to old things is you got to free yourself from whatever is holding you trapped. It could be the fear of being judged. It could be the fear you want to want to be accepted. So I think it's vital to have an asilcha rav or knelcha chavr, a mashpia, a mentor or a friend, because they give you the strength to be a little more objective, to have more courage, to sometimes make a move that that move will free you from the past. But I want to say this, you're struggling with the same thing we're all struggling with. It's not an easy thing to do. Halavai would be easy. Tell, ask around how many people actually feel they can sustain a change once they've gotten used to a certain thing. But in many ways, this disruptive pandemic has forced us to change against our will. And that alone is something. Like a guy told me just the other day, he said to me, you know, I used to go to a restaurant every twice a week. I try to find new restaurants all the time. Now there are no restaurants. I mean, a little opening here, but it's not comfortable. He says, you know what? I realized I could live without it. He thought this was it. His life was shaken up. Some people were going to go for sukkahs. Many people. Now you could say that's a sad thing. They want to go to Israel. Beautiful thing to celebrate. The Ebishter didn't want it. So now you have to find another way that's not necessarily comfortable to celebrate in a new way. And that breaks patterns and breaks habits. That's my uh, short version of the answer. I just want to add, it's interesting as a coach, it's, it is very hard. And what we sometimes recommend is to do things differently, even in small things. Even the route that you go home from work, you usually go in uh, this way, today go in a different way. You usually go, um, uh, you wake up at eight, you'll wake up at half an hour earlier, whatever it is, small things. Um, but what, what it does is changes the, changes the, the thoughts patterns of a person. Wait a second, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? I'm going to do it different now. And automatically the mind starts to think different. And then we get into the, uh, uh, that's going to take us to the next question. Basically, when it comes to Yom Nerom Befrat, um, this person is asking about Roshan Yekippah. We're talking about a lot of menhagim that you follow and you're doing the same thing every year. How should somebody uh, change that so it shouldn't become robotic? Yeah, so first of all, thank you. That's a very good point. You know, there's an expression they see, say, how the neurons are fired, that's how they get wired. And when you repeat something again and again, thought patterns the same way, 
it starts it starts as a as they say in Yiddish. It becomes solidified, and you can't break it. So very good. When you make small changes, it shakes up the neurons, and therefore the wiring gets rewired a bit. Look, um, the answer to this question, I think, is a very straightforward one. But it takes work. Nothing comes automatic. Remember that. It doesn't work without effort. Here's a simple suggestion that I use myself and I've advised to many people. There's a lot of tefillahs Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, right? Tzimah is a bigger, big safer. You know, those that say more piyutim, it's even longer. It's a long safer. If, you know, in a regular, if you have to read it, it, it can take hours, even without understanding it. I would suggest the following. Before Yom Tov, take a magzer, choose a tefillah, any tefillah you like. It could be Shema, it could be Maidaniv, or a special tefillah to the Rosh Hashanah, one of the special from the, from the, from the, from the, from the Malchus, Echreinus, Shefris, whatever. Take one tefillah before Rosh Hashanah and prepare. Read it. If you need English translation, read the English. If you need Mepharshim, there's, if you look at the source, if it's a Pasuk from Tilim, understand the, the uh, we're talking now Eichus, not Kamos. Eichus, and define one issue in your life that this filler responds to. I'll just give an example. We all say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elikeinu, Hashem Echad. Focus on Echad. What's Echad mean? Unity, oneness. Very often our lives are fragmented. Going in different directions, different voices. This one schlepping you here, this one here. Hashem Echad is saying, I'm focusing on the Ebeshtu's one, and I'm trying to bring that oneness into my life. Find something where you could use a little harmony, a little unity. And then when you go say Shema, trust me, the Shema is not going to be the same. And you know what? You could say the same tefillah in different davening, each time with a little different kavon. You don't have to change the words. But this takes conscientious effort. You do that, you've already broken the habit of just reading lip service, which we all so often are so good at doing. Now, to expect someone to dive in the whole Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur Tfilis with that type of intensity and focus, halavai. But begin with one tefillah. And then you know what? Then take another one and another one. You will feel completely different. You will see a tefillah that speaks to you, a Veda Shebelev, Zuhi Tfilah. You expressed emotionally and your emotionally intelligent way. You've communicated with Abishtar about a certain thing. And the same thing could be any tefillah. Is just choose one or two, and you're well on your way. That would be my practical suggestion. Okay, Rabbi Jacobson, we have a live question. If you're ready for it, Sari, Ron. Hello. First of all, thank you so much. What you're sharing with us is, is marvelous. Can you give advice to everyone that's listening to you? It's so nice to take, make a decision. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to improve, I'm gonna be macabre something. And then we try, and it works the first day, and it works the second day, and by the third day it flops, and by the fourth day it flops even worse. How do we get not frustrated when that change isn't happening? Yeah, it's called the New Year Resolution uh, Syndrome, right? Um, basically, you make a achlata, and, you're, and it's sincere, and, and then, like you said, at some point, sometimes it's very, very quickly, sometimes takes longer time. So I, I want to say two things about it, two things. 
First of all, there's an expression. A wise person sees ahead. You can, you can, you can anticipate. Because we are cr creatures of habit at times, and things that we have been doing for a long time, you know, let's talk even at a basic level. You make a chot, I want to go on a diet. Why is it so difficult? Because you're already in a pattern. As I said before, your neurons, your habits have defined you. It's like, it's like a, you're in a groove. You ever see like a broken record? Once it's there, it's very difficult to break out of it. So you can go in with knowing that this is not going to be easy. I hope for the best. But I think sometimes having a, a type of like almost unrealistic expectation, everything's going to change. It says, don't bite off more than you can chew. No problem making a But I'm a big believer, and Menachem said it well, and I'm very appreciative of that. Small changes bring big changes. If you have to untangle a yarn, a, a, a ball of yarn, it's very tangled, wires, they're all tangled up. You ever see the situation you get frustrated because they, you can't get the untangled? What happens? You start tightening it and it gets even worse. So one of the ATSIS solutions is start at the edges. Untangle the things that are easier to untangle, that are not so challenging. Don't always take on the hardest tachlote because that's going to be the most difficult one. Start untangling things that are easier to do. I just was dealing with someone who has, has issues with the family, sibling rivalry, People don't speak to each other. And he was asking me, what can I do? I really want to change things. And whatever we do doesn't work. I said, who in your family is easiest for you to speak to? She says, I have a younger sister. We have a good relationship. I said, call her up and start building with what you have. As you strengthen that which you can strengthen, that's more, much easier for you to relate to. There's a posik in Chumash, actually. It says, ma'at ma'at agashenu. That when the Jews came into Israel, don't throw everybody out because... You have to do everything gradually. Gradual growth, incremental gradual growth is always going to be more sustainable. So my suggestion is, is to try to find a a decision, a resolution that is more manageable instead of the big one. Because once you feel, build that confidence with a little smaller goal, it becomes easier than to expand and expand. Because it really comes down to the human psyche it's very difficult to change the past, more difficult than we ever imagined. People don't realize the power of inertia, of the status quo. That when you're in a certain place, let's say your equilibrium of your weight has, is a certain weight, I'm not gonna say a number. It's very difficult to change that. You change it for a while, it gravitates back again and again. So I would choose things that are easier, make them consistent, build up, untangle this which is easier, and then with time, you can tackle the more difficult ones and go with a very clear-headed, realistic approach instead of one saying, okay, new year, everything's going to change. And it's very doable if you do it in that step-by-step -step fashion. That's what I would... Now, when you do come to such frustration, you know, in general, frustration is like energy. You have to release it some way. So you can either turn on music very high or go outside in the field and yell to Hashem that's a way of relieving. I'm saying that half humorously. Sometimes humor also diffuses frustration. So that's my general response to your excellent question. Thank you, so we're getting a lot of questions. I'm sorry, putting a little speed on it right now. Um, yeah. Let's go to Chaya Sara. Hi, how are you? Hi. Okay, fine. I had just gotten off the phone with a friend of mine in the West Coast who's suffering terribly with the fires and whatnot. It's, 
really awful. So I set off him. I think God's sending us messages. And I feel like maybe, you know, is it maybe, I don't say inappropriate, you know, to me to think that way that I should just worry about myself because I feel like with everything happening in the world right now, I wish I could get other people to wake up more than, you know, besides just myself. Is it wrong to, it's not that I claim any moral high ground, but I sometimes I feel like I wish the world, would, or at least people's thinking would change. You know, it's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, is it wrong to think that way or judge me, being too judgmental and, and to just focus only on myself, Rosh Hashanah, or, or, or should I think of ways that the world, I could try to change the world, not just myself? Well, look, the Judaism teaches us that when you change, your, when you change yourself, you change the world. The Rambam says, Maimonides says, in Hilchah Shuvah, the laws of Shuvah, he says, a person should always look at themselves as everything is equal. The scales are equal. And your one act, your one kind word, your thought will tip the scales. Generally speaking, it's, it's, it can be very commendable to try to wake other people up and change them, but more difficult to do so. And the focus has to really be on yourself. Be a living example. When you're a living example, your friends and others will learn from you. So I would try to focus, yes, on yourself because that's where you have control. You don't have control over your friend in the West Coast. You can, you, can, you can tell her or him, I'm not sure who it was, but you can say kind words, compassionate words, give strength. But wake up calls are generally, you usually try to wake yourself up. It's very difficult and not always appropriate even to try to wake someone else up because they may not be receptive. They may not be receptive to you um, because uh, they say, who are you to tell me? So I would work on myself. And remember, your actions have a ripple effect on all people around you. Don't ever underestimate that. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Here we go. Go ahead. Okay, Didi, you're on. Hi, thank One second, one second, one second. I'm mute, I'm mute. You got it. Here you go. Am I unmuted? Now you're good. Thank you. Um, I'm going to come in from a little bit of a different angle. Um, while you're, we're focusing a little bit on, on don't do things by rote, what would you say to, I'm sure, the many people that are struggling right now and having a really hard time, having a hard time davening, having a hard time getting back to themselves and, and just dealing with the world, um, and davening itself is a struggle, would you say that it's okay, you know, take the things that you're comfortable with and, and keep to those things that you're comfortable davening with, even if let's say it's a little bit less, and try to focus on restabilizing yourself? Or would you say no, push your limits? No, I, I think the first approach is what I would take because unfortunately, a lot of Yiddishkeit has been taught to us with a stick and there's a lot of damage done because people feel Judaism is fear-based. So I would say the following. God is a compassionate, loving Ebershter. He understands quite well what the pandemic has done to people. As you said, destabilized, disrupted, upended. So we have to understand the Ebershter understands and has Rachmanus. So I would take the approach that you said, the first approach. You know, God forbid, let's just say one of our children... Uh, had an injury or had an accident. As a parent, you don't push them 
you say, you know what? This child has gone through some trauma, some difficulty. You have compassion. We're not spoiling the child. You're understanding. So I would say exactly that. Right now, the Klal Yisrael, for that matter, the whole world, and also individually, we've gone through a difficult time. I mean, in my own community, we have over, I don't want to say the numbers, a lot of people died in March and April and May. And in other Jewish communities, we're dealing with a real pandemic here. It's not a joke. It's a magaif. Thank God it's dropped in the and hopefully we can contain it, etc. So the Abishta understands quite well. You think that the fact that the Abishta made that we shouldn't be able, there were months we couldn't go to shul. There were months that our schools had to be closed. This was not our choice. This is in many ways, not even like a gzeda. If Stalin, Yamach Shemoy, or uh, the, the Saint Yisrael made a gzeda, we were Mesa Nefesh. Here, it's Menashemayim. The Abishta said, like he says in Mitzrayim, Atem, they say that we were quarantined. So I think it's important to be able to be gentle to ourselves and to others and not to be harsh. So I absolutely believe the approach is one, you know what, daven what you can, try to do with kavana, try to do with, with, uh, with uh, deeper intention. And I'll say something else as well. I know people who tell me they can't even daven at all. They find it very difficult. They're very, very shaken up. So we have to have compassion. It's not about justifying doing something, but I build it doing something. I think this type of harsh attitude that, you know, that we have to stick to our, to our routines is not necessarily the approach. The Ebershta understands quite well. Obviously, we're not looking for ways out. We're looking for ways to rebuild our lives. And that's what you do. That's what Pekoch Nefesh is, by the way. It says even Sometimes you have to desecrate Shabbat because of Pekoach Nefesh, because of danger, in order to keep other Shabbos. Now, I'm not saying, oh, God forbid, that's what we should do. But when the, when the demands that, that's what the halacha says. That's what, that's what the Ebershter understands. That we should live by mitzvahs. Not, not the God forbid, the opposite. Many people struggle a lot with self-compassion. They say, uh, the, the question was if I sh- what Hashem wants, but it really boils down how do you feel after you do that? Even if you told them, you know, a daven half, but after they daven the only half, they don't feel good about it. So they really have to develop their, that self-compassion, understand where they are, yeah. so that they should be able to build and continue. Rachamona libaboy, God wants our heart. So you come with your heart, that goes a long way. Because the kavana of the Ebersh understands. If it's a good kavana, you don't have to be harsh on the other details. Yeah. Okay, Rabbi Jacobson, let's go to the next question over here. This is coming, I'm getting from a few different people. I'm just combining the question. A general, a general feeling. Um, I'm completely worn out and strained after this year. I had the hardest year of my life. I lost my job. I lost the mishpacha. I lost this. I, I, any New Year ideas for reju- rejuvenation? How can I rejuvenate myself after having such a hard... It's a bracham de gira. The first thing that comes to mind is we have a relationship with uh, the Rebbe with God, like a child and a parent. You know, we talk to say Malkeinu, we also say Avinu. God is our father. And of harachamim, of harachamim, God has compassion. I think there's nothing wrong entering Rosh Hashanah just with one simple thing. I'm, I am a wounded child. I've been hurt. 
whether it's from illness, illness, family members, parnosa, Hashem, have a little Rachmanus. It's a very legitimate, maybe the most legitimate tefillah of all. Sometimes it's fine to say, I don't know what to do. I just need kayach. That's the tefillah. You're asking Hashem. Sometimes we even say to Hashem, I don't know what to ask for. Why don't you give me what I need? You know better than what I need. I think that type of sincerity and tmimus, tomim tim, Hashem alekecha, goes a long, long way. Now, some of us are maybe a little skeptical. Is God listening? Why is he not answering my prayer all the time? Remember, every tefillah is answered. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes it takes a few more doors to be opened. The Shalosh says that every tefillah is answered. Just sometimes you need more doors open. So go with that confidence that we know that there's no doubt that the Ebrister Hashem is listening to us with compassion and open up, be vulnerable. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm, I'm hurt, that I'm hurting. I feel that's a very strong thing. People don't realize the power of that brings rejuvenation. That's on a basic level of tefillah reaching Tasha. On a personal level, I go back to what I said earlier. Find one area of life where you could have a little simcha, sachaim. Rosh Hashanah is coming. There were many people taken from us this past year. You, Baruch Hashem, hopefully are healthy. You have children, grandchildren, or whatever the brachas are. Very often we focus so much on what we don't have, and we neglect to say, Moidani, Haydu, There is much to acknowledge for. For some reason, strange reason, we complain more than what we, when we don't have something, than give gratitude when we do have. So maybe it's time to think about that. A little heida. It's not to take away from the painful things. It just gives you strength when you recognize, one second, I do have a, bl- a blessing. A guy told me, a doctor said, he once heard me say the medrash, at the end of Tehillim, it says, I'll call neshama tahalul ka. So the medrash says, I'll call neshima, neshima tahalul ka, neshama. I mentioned before, David says, every soul praises God. So the medrash says, every breath you take, you should praise God. So I once mentioned in a class I gave, a doctor who came to my classes said he was, he was dealing with a lot of COVID patients who couldn't breathe. They, God forbid. They had difficulty. And he said, he's remembered the medrash. Here I am able to breathe 15, 18 times. We breathe, exhale and inhale every minute. Most of us don't even know that. And he recognized, you know what? We don't thank enough for that. Sometimes it takes the lack of something to appreciate what you have. So I think it's important to enter not just with what we don't have, also what we do. So in addition to saying to Hashem, I need help, I need blessings, also focus on things that give you simcha. Gratitude is a very big, powerful force, recognized today even in, in secular psychology as really a force of healing and growth. Jacobson, there's a question quite a few people are asking also. I, I mean, we've asked it probably on the share a few different times, but I want to take your take on it. I'm going to read it, but let's, let's try to globalize it in a bigger picture. I struggle each year entering Rosh Hashanah with a renewed hope. I think about the past years when I daven so sincerely with so many tears for something specific. We could add in over there, children, Parnosa, getting, finding Chassan, somebody to get her Fushalema, that I desperately need. However, year after year, I'm still waiting. I feel myself slowly losing excitement and belief that on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem can decide anything and things can really change for me. Do you have any ideas how I can enter Rosh Hashanah with a renewed hope? Am I expected to have answers to every question, by the way? 
I thought your name is Harav Urim Batumim. No? <laughs> I think even the Urim Batumim didn't have answers for me. <laughs> um, okay, fine. Thank you for the vote of confidence. Um, you know, they say if you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you build it, they will come. You know, if we'll put it out, they will ask it. Like, you know the answer, maybe Utaka will come. Like they say, Shailas Chochem, Chetzit Shuva, right? The question of a wise person is half an answer. I want to just say that I'm one of those people that have that question too, so we're in the same boat. And yet, there's two sides to things. I, I want to just put it in the right, uh, sensitive way. You know, we're entitled to be um, children in the eyes of God and say, look, I want you to just have Rahman Asami. I may not have done it well enough. Maybe I didn't dive in the best way possible, but I still want you to give me my needs. At the end of the day, I'm your child. And I have Shkhusovis. We suffered long enough, thousands of years ago. It's time for the Abraham to be nice to us. We totally have that right to say it. But I have to say this. Levi Yitzchak Baditchever once said that we always have to find a limbo tzchus on another person. But when it talks about ourselves, we have to not be harsh, God forbid, but we have to be accountable. So I have no problem saying every person, and even if we didn't do it exactly right, you know what? A father overlooks and still has compassion and give us the needs we have, whether it's panos, children, shidduch, peace of mind, all the things we need. But when I look at myself, I say to myself, you know, look, you're an adult. The Abishta created you. Yes, you want compassion, but you also have to sometimes ask yourself, are, are you accountable? So I want to be able to phrase this on both ends. I think you have to be able to have both aspects to this. Ask for that God opening, but also realize that sometimes you, you maybe have to put new work into it. Maybe something you didn't do. And it's not about blaming yourself. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about demoralizing or breaking yourself. God forbid. We're talking about expecting most of you. Sometimes Abish has a vote of confidence in you that's so deep that he says, you know, I know you can do it. And he won't necessarily immediately respond because he knows that you can do it. And maybe you need a little more effort. Now, I'm not the one to say this on other people, but I say it to myself. So I think it's important to have that approach as well. Finally, I want to say this regarding, we don't know the mysteries of the Eibishter. I am the last one that's going to try to explain why the Eibishter answers one person this way and one person that way, why one person is blessed with brachas, the other person you don't see the blessing. These are the mysteries. We never know. We know Gamzul Teva. We know that there's deeper good in it all. But we don't always understand. Will we ever understand why there was a pandemic? Why some people had to die? Some people had to suffer, still suffering. We don't have answers to this question. What we do have answers is this. As one of the, the Rebbe's once said, he said, we can't ask the question why, but we could ask what are we going to do about it? Hasgoche Protis, he said, is nicht farvos, not vos. You can't ask why. Why was there a Holocaust? Who's going to have the chutzpah to even try to answer that? But we could ask vos, what are we supposed to do? And that's where we're empowered. So remember, if you did not get your prayer answered the way you wanted last year, so what? You move forward. You forge ahead. Maybe I shouldn't have said, so what? I know it matters. 
But we don't give up. There's no such thing. We believe in firmly that when you love someone and they love you, you keep knocking on the doors. If any message of Yom Kippur is the most important one, what's the message? Moshe Rabbeinu would not take no for an answer. Listen to this. The Eden built a eagle hazov, a golden calf. Infidelity. They betrayed God in the worst possible way. 39 days after they heard, they built a, a false god, a golden calf. Moshe comes down from the mountain. He shatters the tablets. What does he do? He marches back up on the mountain, asks the Abishta, you need to forgive these people. It was Bemezid. Aveda Zoda Bemezid. Yarek Vayavid, the worst Aveda. And the Abishta, 40, 40 days, Moshe is not successful. So Moshe should have said to himself, you know what? I tried my best. God is not accepting my tefillah. No. He goes back another time. Another 40 days. Rosh Hashanah, right now, Moshe is on the mountain the third time. And when will he come back down? Yom Kippur. With the Luchas the second Luchas. Salachti Kidvarecha. We say right after Kol Nidre. What is that message? Simple English. Moshe would not take no for an answer. And he banged on the door again and again and again and again. He would not accept God's rejection because he knew in the depths of his heart and soul that God loves the people and the people love God. Yes, there was a betrayal, but we can reconcile. So that's how we have to look at it. The Abishtah did not answer your prayer last year. So you're going to keep knocking on the door. The Reish's Chachma says, regarding Acher. There's no such thing. We are your partner. We are your spouse. And what happens? Moshe prevails. For all of history, a man stood up to God and he succeeded. God said, "Forgive. I forgive as you've spoken. You need a lesson to not give up? That's how Jews always thought. That's why we never could be vanquished. Because even when it seemed like God gave up on us, we didn't give up on him. And that's the attitude. We do not take no for an answer. You keep davening and davening, the door will open up. And there's no, there's no ifs or buts. It may take more time, it takes less, less time. That's the attitude we must have. At what age do you, at what age would you say would the person get there? By the 20, 30, 40, 50? About 119. Madrega, it's a big Madrega. And I, I just want to validate those people who are still on the journey. And sometimes they need to go through the, it's, it's a griefing process. Okay. Um, yeah, eventually, yeah, I'm not denying that. That's no, also part of it, yeah. No, you're saying uh, the the but it's a journey. It's a journey. Absolutely, absolutely. Journey. Some people, they find, they find themselves in pain and they, don't want, they want to change it because they don't like the pain and they want to run away and that, that's even more painful. Have to realize listen you are in a place where you don't want to be and it is painful nobody likes it and uh until you get to that acceptance parts acceptance so that you can go continue on in life which is not easy <laughs> and i would add it's also good to have support find people that care about you that believe in you because it's very hard to suffer alone it's important to have other people with because together we're stronger yeah Okay, I got the next question. Actually, I want to, is it okay, Rabbi Simon? I wanted to ask Menachem first and then switch it to you. Absolutely. Menachem, first of all, is our Baal Tefillah Rosh Hashanah. So I want to turn to him because since he knows how to daven, he knows how to internalize it. Number one. Number two, I want to say Mazel Tov to my friend Heshi Gross on the Shir. 
he's making a brisk Tuesday. Okay, so the question is like this. A few people asked it, but again, it's another version of it. The question is as follows, and I'm sure a lot of people in the share can relate. How could I bridge the seichel and knowing to, that I need a daven and feel it in my heart? My heart is closed and cannot internalize what my mind knows I should be feeling. For example, I know I should find my simcha in certain areas, but I don't feel it all in my heart. Menachem. I'm about to feel it. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's one time, I'm, 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 I'm a problem, and it's called Midre, whatever it is, and you're just like. It's good to hear that he wants to feel, which everybody wants to feel, but uh, introduction to this is, which uh, other people probably heard from me, is uh, there, there's a reason why we don't feel. And it's a good reason because uh, we have to make a choice. It's either we, we want to feel or we don't want to feel. And that means if you choose to feel, um, you're going to be going to have to feel the negative together with the positive. And that's really, uh, you know, this is a, a long drasha, but uh, in, in just in two minutes, the reason why, whether whenever we made the decision not to feel, and some people made it subconsciously when they were young, is when they had a painful moment and they didn't like it, and they just decided, you know what? I'm continuing, I'm good, and nothing is gonna phase me, and I don't have any pain anymore. And some people, they went through real trauma and they needed it while they were there. But what happens is the part of the brain, the amygdala is the part of the brain responsible for feelings. What happens is we close it. And then, then we find, you know, while you're in the trauma, there's a reason why you're closing it. But eventually, you start looking around, thinking to yourself, where's, where's, the, where's the positive feelings, the things that I do want to feel? Why don't I feel? So before you want to feel, you have to realize that you're going to have to be ready to feel negatives also. The question is, so what am I going to do? I don't want to feel the negatives. The answer is feeling itself doesn't do anything more than just not a good feeling. That's it. We don't have to make any decisions. And uh, we don't have to think, you know, if I feel this, probably I'll make uh, assumptions and uh, continue from those feelings. Feelings, it passes, but you have to learn how to sit with the feelings. And you can go through negative feelings and say, I don't like this. I want to get out of here. But that's suppressing it. When you feel a negative feeling, you say, this is something I don't like to feel, but I'm feeling it anyhow. And you wait a few minutes and hopefully it passes. And then eventually you can start feeling the positives. So what happens is the, the machine, the heart machine, instead of going straight, which is not really live, starts going up and down, up and down. And based on how much you're ready to feel those negatives, you'll be able to feel positives. The more deeper you can go with the negatives, the higher positives. Now it sounds like a little bit wishy-washy. But that's life. Not everything we like, and everybody has their things and certain things. Even when you have a goal, like we had before, you have goals, and then it's not working out. So you have it down. You have it up, a down. You have to learn how to live with it and continue, not to close it up. Now, for more information, we'll have to continue at a different time. But this is Bikitza. Seven. I I second that. Um, we can move to the next question. Okay. Very interesting question. I'm 56 year old. I'm 56 years old now, and I've gone through many Rosh Hashanahs. I know. I know what it's all about. Okay, it's the same question, and I feel disconnected. It's really the same question. Let's go to the next one. 
yes, true, we went through a tough year, but I don't feel there's anything I could do about it. In other words, does my davening really make a difference? The answer is absolutely yes. You know, let me put it to you in uh, some uh, historical dramatic context. If Avram Avinu asked the question whether his davening makes a difference, you could say, you know, he did not know necessarily what would be 3,800 3, years later, that the broche and the promise Hashem made to him, that your children and grandchildren will be like the stars in the sky. You know, I'm sure he believed it, but he didn't see it with his own eyes. Today, for any Jew, to question whether the tefillahs of our parents and grandparents are answered, look, tell me, does it make any sense that we should still be standing after a Holocaust, pogroms, inquisitions, the crusaders, the Middle Age massacres, churban bayasheni, churban bayasedition, going back to Golis Mitzrayim, you know how many odds we had to overcome? After the Holocaust, I can tell you, I did research. There are newspaper accounts in 1945, 1946, that say that by the year 1990, there will be no Jews left on earth. And this is the calculation by scientists, statisticians, that here, a third of the Jewish people were decimated, six out of 18 million. Most, most rabbis, teachers, community leaders were killed. In the United States, Judaism was not exactly rising. Assimilation was destroying whatever the Nazis didn't destroy. So based on pure status, stats, statistics and calculations by actuaries, it doesn't make sense that the Jews will survive. Again, we're talking about a few million. We're not talking about billions. And yet, and yet, with all our challenges and with all the assimilation and we're limping along, Look at life. Nobody would have written. You know why? Because we're not subject to statistics. And that's on a basic level. On a deeper level, because tefillahs are answered. When we see grandmothers and mothers crying and saying tefillin, you know, again and again and again, the rational mind, like mine, for example, when I look at it, I say, what are they doing? But then I cannot deny the fact. This tefillahs added up Somebody was counting their tears. Somebody was counting their kapitlach. And maybe the results were not immediate, but the results were in time. Perhaps we have comforts like never before. Look, the mere fact that the pandemic has shaken us up is a testimony to our comforts. We got used to being comfortable. I mean, this was common. Do you know that there wasn't a family basically 150 years ago that did not have a loss due to disease, Stillbirth, Rahman al Itzlan. Wasn't that the comforts that we have? This would be called Shmuel in the Gemara and Baracha says, That's the only difference. Shibit Malchis. What kind of Shibit Malchis do we have today? So someone told me we pay taxes and parking uh, tickets. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. So the gifts that we have today, the freedoms, we could sit here, learn Tata all night. No one's coming to arrest us. No one's coming to round us up. We, we have to appreciate it. Someone's tefillahs worked. So for anyone to say, hey, 
tefillahs don't work. That's, I mean, I don't want to be critical because I have a Rahmana, somebody has a need and their tefillah was not answered yet. So of course we have Rahmanas. But the, the big picture, yes, the prices were paid, heavy prices were paid, and we are the beneficiaries, and we're not even aware. I think it's a very important to recognize that, that thousands of years we're here, that's a major, major bracha. No other nation made it. How did we make it? So it's true, the Abishta protects the Jewish people. But I have no doubt that the Tfilis, all the way back, you know, the Mepharshim say, why did Moshe Rabbeinu, the Abishta told him to stop praying to go into Yisrael? Veschanan Tfilis, Tavkuf Tezvav. He prayed 515 prayers to go into Eretz Yisrael. Then the Abishta told him enough. So everyone asked, why didn't you tell him enough in the beginning? Why did you wait for him to daven 515 times before you told him to stop? Because every tefillah of Mesha made life easier for Eden through Golos. So it's true, he didn't get into Eretz Yisrael, Mesha, but he made it easier for us throughout the years of Golos. We should never, ever deny the power of prayer. That would be really a, a disgrace because it would basically mean that all the tefillahs that the Jews had over thousands of years are meaningless. Sometimes we don't see the answer or sometimes the answer comes the way Hashem wants, not always the way we want. We have to have a certain humility. At the same time, absolutely. Demand, knock on the door. We, have, we all demand that Ibishtha should give and all the blessings that we all need. So, man, we're having a tremendous amount of questions coming. Can we, can we, can we uh, go quicker? I really want to try to accomplish more. Again, don't even answer the questions. Go to the next one. No, I'm joking. Answer it, but uh, I just want to tell you, there's a lot of people asking, okay. This one just to... pressed all my buttons. I got passionate. <laughs> Come on next week when we have a therapist. We'll talk it out. Let's go. Now get the cover. So, Baruch Hashem, we hear and we understand what the power of prayer is, but we do know that many times when people ask for different bakoshes, what a person feels is that will benefit them in a very big way. The Ebrish knows that whatever Cheshbon is, this is a very bad thing for that person, even though he thinks it's a tremendous benefit. So many times people are davening and davening and the tzvillis aren't answered and they feel down about it. But if they would come to peace that the answer is no, maybe they would be able to move forward and realize maybe that's the benefit for me that the answer is no. So the question is, how does one know when the answer is no? You know, you remind me the, the, the sad story. Remember Mrs. Waxman in Esther So her son was uh, kidnapped by the PLO, whoever it was. And, you know, Israel didn't negotiate with terrorists. All of Esther was davening with her. Meanwhile, the army was devising a plot to figure out where he was. They found him. But they came one minute late. And unfortunately, he was killed. So one of the Israeli abrasive journalists, you know, I don't know how they have that uh, insensitivity. Asked Mrs. Waxman by Shiva, you, what am to all your prayers and all the prayers of the Jews? <coughs> um, so she said calmly, listen to uh, 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 a mother who just lost her son. She said calmly, God listened to our prayers. He heard our prayers. He answered our prayers. His answer was, Loi, no. We wanted him to live. David just said no. I don't know if we really can ever say the criteria. I think you have to look before the fact and after the fact. We know there's the concept of betochen, that when you're in a precarious situation, 
a crisis, you obviously have betochen that your prayers will be answered, that the Ebrister will help. Not just you believe he could help, that he will help. That's what betochen is. Shara betochen, cheves alavovis, explains it at length. But after the fact, if it didn't work out the way you wanted it to work out, you have to accept that the Ebrister listened and said no, meaning not no, I don't agree with you, this is a good thing. No, this is not the right thing now. You may understand it, you may not understand it. So I think before and after the fact is one of the ways to know. Before the fact, you have to be very careful. Like when someone tells me, I did all the hishtadlus I could, and I can't find the shidduch. And, I, and, and they say, therefore, the Abraham said no. I said, one second, maybe there's more hishtadlus you can do. No, I know I did everything. Not necessarily the case. So I think you have to know, be wise and be objective because sometimes it can be a cop-out. I'm not going to try anymore because that's it. I tried enough. So I think that there is a, like Moshe Rabbeinu, he would have stayed on the mountain until said, I don't think he'd ever give up. Till this day, he'd probably be there. So you have to know when to, I don't want to say when to hold him and when to fold him, but I mean to say you have to know when to move forward and challenge and when to accept but generally speaking, tzaddikim challenged as much as they could until, until they were proven or told, like Moshe was told, stop. But I don't know if it's a black and white. I just, some of the criteria I think I presented. Can you add it? Can you add it in the tefillah? Hashem, I don't know if it's good for me. There's something I want. And you go on Absolutely. and on. Absolutely. That's always a uh, no-fail option. You always do that. Any tefillah, I can tell you, a secret element, at the end of the tefillah say, I don't know if I said it right. I don't know if I asked for the right thing. You know better. I said my best. You make sure to fill in whatever I missed. I think it's always a good, good, it's a good, safe option. Yeah. All right, let's go to the next one. Yehuda, let's go. Come on. Well, I, I actually, the question was for you, Asher, but if you're going to let me ask Ribsim, and maybe I'll get a better answer. So Yehuda, 20 years I, ago. Wait a second, my good friend Yehuda, I haven't heard about you for where Yehuda Chatzkalevich, yeah? In this Zoom, you have to fill out your full name. You can't uh, you can't uh, play games here. I, I usually ask for social security numbers, but I let it go this time. No, 20 years ago we asked um uh, we were in Yushalayim was a, a few boys, American boys. We were at the Tzemach Tzedek Shul in um Old city, and we met the old Rav Segal. So we asked him um, about Rosh Hashanah. We asked him, you know, we're we're not we're not young, but we're not old. We're, we're about 22 years old. So this Rosh Hashanah, I mean, we've been in the we've been in the game. And some of these Americans were from for maybe four or five years. And we said, you know, it's coming Rosh Hashanah, and we are uh, obviously we're coming with an expectation to feel something. If we were coming without the expectation and we're saying, hey, we're just going to a religious concert, so we wouldn't have a problem. Just go and hopefully you'll enjoy it this year more than last year or maybe in the year to come. Depends with the canter. What? Depends with the canter is. No, I mean, I watched videos of Slichus last night and I was very happy to see that people were enjoying themselves. After so much Tzadis, people were dancing from the balconies and Bachlal, the fact that the shuls, some shuls were open, there was Yodah Green. So... We asked Rav Segal because he was a mashpia in Chabad. So we knew that uh, they say, the Beis Yaakov girls said that when they took a course with Chabad, they said Chabad has answers to everything in terms of like the, in terms of Ashkafa, like, like whenever there's like these, like these dead ends. 
So we asked him, what do you do? It's Rosh Hashanah is coming and we don't have any, um, I mean, not, not, not that we don't feel anything, but how are we supposed to look at this Rosh Hashanah different than last year? And then it becomes mechanical and it's a new year. It's a new year. It's a new year. And then it's like doing exactly what we did last year. So he said that in Yiddish, there's a thing asking to enlighten us and lighten up our eyes. And uh, and you should like, and then you might you you ask Hashem to 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 help you see, regardless of the fact that you should know that there is something very new coming, a new light of the new year. So now it's twenty years later, and you you might be twenty years older than me. So so uh, I would ask you, and that would be like, no no, what do you say? Well, we still say the prayer of We still want to open our eyes. You know, um, I, I realize, and I think most of us can, uh, can understand, we know very little about life. I think the mind is highly overrated. We think because we have great minds and we've developed scientific uh, breakthroughs and we've made life so comfortable and different technologies and medical medical science and so on, we think we got it all figured out. I think the first thing we have to know is that we know a lot less than we know, which means we know a little piece of the puzzle. There's so much that we don't know. I find that when I don't understand what God's plan is, like uh, with this pandemic, for instance, or why God does not respond to a prayer, tell me, one and a half million innocent children were gassed 80 years, 70, 80 years ago. You're telling me that the Abishtid did not have fine Rachmanis on one child, on two children, on millions of Jews that died only because they were Jewish? No other reason? You can, it's unfathomable. So you either come to the conclusion that, you know, that completely destroys any faith, or you come to the conclusion that the mysteries of God, I find comfort. I don't want a God that I can figure out. I have enough things I can figure out. I don't need a God that's a product of my mathematical equations. Not that I, of course we want beautiful life. Of course we want gifts. But at the end of the day, God is God. When Hashem said to Eiv, to me, it's the ultimate answer. Eiv is of course challenging the Eberster for why good people suffer. And was one posik to me that like, I don't know, for some reason resonates tremendously. Maybe for you as well. What's the posik? The Abishta says to, uh, uh, to Eve, to Job, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, you ask me why there's all this death and suffering. Do you ask me why there's birth? Why there's happiness? Were you there when I created heaven and earth? with my plan, that you ask me what the plan is? Why do you only ask me when things don't work? Because there'd be no death if there was no birth. There'd be no sadness if there was no joy. There'd be no pain if there was no existence. So why don't you ask the bigger question? Why is there existence? You don't know why. You're only asking. Once there's existence, you're uncomfortable. Now, even that, the Abishta wants us to cry out. He says, your pain and pain cry to me. But if you're going to start asking that big question, when God answers and when he answers and how he answers, you know something? The greatest 
statement that a person can make is, I stand strong, that I don't understand everything. There's nothing wrong with a mystery of existence. And at the same time, we still demand justice. Moshe cried out, Why are you doing evil to the people? Avram cried out about Zdoim. These were men of faith and women of faith. They didn't take anything lying down. They challenged God like no one challenged God. But at the same time, they embraced the mystery. And I think it's, that's ultimately the, the, the secret combination of doing everything we can to challenge and demand goodness in a good year. We say Shana Teva and we ask again and again. We don't just say do whatever you want. We, you promised us that it's going to be a good year. We want a good year. We, we did many things. Our parents have schusim. At the same time, there is a certain element of knowing there's a mystery. And it may not always be exactly on our terms. That doesn't mean it isn't good. It just means we don't get it. And I think that's important to recognize 20 years ago. And now, and in 20 years from now, hopefully Mashiach will come very shortly. It'll be Oit Hashem Ken after be, And we'll be able to recognize the Hayr Enenu we'll actually see with our eyes things that it's hard to see right now. Okay. Um, we have a lot of different questions I want to get to also. We have another live one. Let's get to that. Israel, you ready? The floor is yours. Unmute yourself. Yeah. Thank you, Rabbi Jacobson. Um, I appreciate your authentic and sincere approach. Um, we mentioned earlier about um, making only small, you know, Kabbalah, small changes, you know, on Rosh Hashanah. Um, if we're only making these Kabbalahs once a year, how are we going to, you know, make real change um, through these small Kabbalahs in the beginning of the year? You know, we know that, you know, the standard frequency in therapy is, is once a week in order to make continued progress to change. Here we're making one, one, one Kabbalah in the beginning of the year, we're making a small change, and, and is that going to make a significant change to our lives? I appreciate a very nice way of putting it. Let me tell you, don't get your hopes up. The therapy goes on all year. It's not just a Rosh Hashanah therapy. Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year. That's like when we initiate a new contract. But it's a maintenance contract that lasts every year. It says in Sfarim that the Kabbalist Malchus and the Cheshben HaNefesh and everything we do Rosh Hashanah like a Rosh. Remember, it's not called Tchilas Hashanah, it's called Rosh. The head is the central nervous system of the entire year. So every day that follows Rosh Hashanah, let's call it this, is a mini therapy session. Rosh Hashanah is just the max one. So I would say the following. If on Rosh Hashanah you take on a achlota, you take on some resolution, let's say on a small basis, a baby step, another step, but it's consistent. Not, we don't wait till next Rosh Hashanah. It's consistent and after Rosh Hashanah, you decide I'm going to learn 15 more minutes. I'm going to spend 10 more minutes with my spouse and talk about our family. I'm going to give a little more tzedakah every day. All the achlotas. And you stick to it. It's not just you do a Rosh Hashanah and then you wait. Every day you maintain it. And every day we say, we daven. You know, it says, Moida'ani is the Kabbalah sale of Rosh Hashanah on a microcosmic scale. So every day we have Kabbalah sale. Rosh Hashanah is like the macrocosm. And every day is a breakdown. So Rosh Hashanah is the Kalal, and that comes down to the Pratim. So when you look at it that way, we're talking about an ongoing effort on a daily basis, as often as possible. 
And the key thing is, is the movement. It's not the quantity. If you make every day a step like that, what happens is, like I mentioned with the water, the drops of water in Rabbi Kiva's muscle, it will ultimately bear through a stone because it's the consistency. The kvias is the key thing. Kvias benefesh, that is consistent. It's better one minute a day than cramming a whole hour at the end of the week because it creates the routine. It rewires your whole existence aligned to that approach. Now, I didn't minimize. I said, begin with small. This doesn't mean that you can't take larger steps if possible. I just said that sometimes if you go too fast, you may have a setback and it may not work exactly. But by all means, if you feel, it's like someone training and conditioning themselves for a marathon. You know, run a half a mile, then run three quarters of a mile, run a little faster, run up a hill. Then a little while later, you're suddenly running two miles. Now, if you can start pushing to four, to five, by all means, you just shouldn't push too much. It should go essentially in a way that works for you and gradually, gradual progression. I just want to say, Yersel Mayor, I, I, I really like the way you asked the question because that is the thought process of many people. And when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, that's exactly what they're thinking and that's why they want to conquer the world. But then they realize that it's another Rosh Hashanah, another Rosh Hashanah. I'm not saying that it didn't work, but um, even with all of that, many people have a hard time maintaining those Kabbalists. So like we just heard, there has to be you really have to be in touch with yourself to see where you are. And if you can do huge things, Right. Okay, Ripsim, are you ready to go to the other side of the world? Yeah, to the moon, to the, to the sky itself. Okay, before we go, let's try Australia first. Wow. Michael, Let's try what? I didn't hear what you said. He's in Australia. Oh, great. So, so close. Come on. Give him a minute. It's 24 hours. Call, let's go. Okay, I'll ask it for him. Oshi, Oshi, 24 hours. Hello, wait. Oh, give, him, give him a minute. Give him a minute. He asked me, asked me to ask. <laughs> you, got, you got stage fright last second. It's fine. Okay. Okay. Um, the question is. I don't know, I'm sure if Jacob knows what's going on, but just in case he doesn't know, you know that Australia is now in like the most solid lockdown ever, right? Yes, I know. As a matter of fact, I'm speaking to the students in Australia in, in two days because, yeah, yeah. This question, hold on. Can Rabbi Jacobson give some words of chizik to the Australian community that are still locked down and many will be davening at home or privately in tiny minyanum? Yeah, well, you know, coming from New York, we had this right after Purim through Pesach. So here's my words, if I may. Um, I'll, I'll share a story, actually, a story with my father. Some of you may have heard my father was Gershon Jacobson, Gershon Jacobson. He was the editor, publisher of the Algemeine Journal. Before that, the Togmorgen Journal. If you're old enough. My father suffered a uh, mini stroke in the year Tafshin Nun, right before Rosh Hashanah, the year 1989. And he ended up in the hospital 
on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that year. So listen to this story. Story with myself, it happened to me. I'm the oldest of five children. So I'm the Bechot. My father ended up in the hospital. Thank God he came out of it. It was a mini stroke. They caught it quickly, Baruch Hashem. But he ended up not in a place you want to be Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. You don't want to be there ever, but especially Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Erev Yom Kippur, I'm summoned by the secretary of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Because Erev Yom Kippur is the minute to give lekach, right? Honey cake. The Rebbe then was not giving honey cake to everybody because of the two large crowds, etc. But a few select, I was called, I come by the Rebbe's door. He gives me lekach, two pieces of honey cake. And he says to me, I'll translate, I'll say it in Yiddish and translate. For your father, you should have a sweet and healthy year. Then the Rebbe smiles and says to me, Tell him that when he'll finish his mission for which he was sent there in the hospital, he will be released. Okay, I make it to, I think it was NYU. And I go there, I bring quickly the cake, I give it to my father. My father did whatever he did, whatever his mission was. After Yom Kippur, the Rebbe's chief of staff, his name is Rabbi Chadakov, he came to see my father. He was already an older man, he was ailing, but he came to see him. I said, the Rebbe wants to know, did you finish your mission so you can be released? Just to show you the emphasis. Now, let me ask you a question. Nobody goes to a hospital for missions. Nobody goes there altogether. You go because you have no choice. Right? My father went there because he had a stroke. He had a problem. The Rebbe's telling him, no. The Abish sends people places. You don't go because of the medical. There's some reason you had to do something there. So he got you there. What I want to say, what I said to myself, to thousands of people when we were going through big lockdowns here, and still have our semi-lockdown, I say this to the whole Australian community. The Abishta runs the show. He wants you to be in a shul, you'll be in a shul. He doesn't want you in a shul, means that's where he, wa he wants you to be at home. It's the same Abishta. We don't write the script. He writes the script. And he wants you there because there's some shlichas, some mission. Even a man with a stroke in a hospital, when they're not because of a stroke, but because he had to accomplish something. That's how we Jews think. Even when we're in an environment where it doesn't seem like we want to be there, and it's not a positive. There's some purpose for us to do that. Maybe we will discover Rosh Hashanah in a new way, like I mentioned earlier. Maybe we'll connect with our children. A guy told me before Pesach, him and his son were estranged. They weren't talking to each other. But Pesach came. The boy was home. You know what they did? They sat down and they studied the Haggadah together. And he said they had a Pesach like never before. He says it would never have happened if there was no COVID. My son wouldn't even have been home. So we don't know God's plans. And that's what we have to tell each other. The Jews through history were led 40 years in the wilderness. You think they wanted to be in the wilderness? They were supposed to end up in Etzisrael very quickly. But for whatever reasons, there's a purpose for Ashgoch Pratis for everything. We don't always understand it. But one thing we know, we're there for a reason. We're never stuck. And therefore, we should never become feeling helpless. 
that's where God wants us to be. There's one question. COVID is not, um, COVID was not brought on by man-made mistakes. Maybe it was developed in a lab. Who knows? But the bottom line, the pandemic that spread is right now something that's not your cause or my cause. So we have a tremendous opportunity and you'll discover a deeper connection to Hashem and to Teda and to Mitzvahs and to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. I guarantee you that you and your children, I say this to all the Australian community, will never forget Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Tavshim Pei Aleph. You want to make sure they never forget it for the right reason because you never celebrated and you never experienced the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur experience like this year. And that's in our control to take this and say, we're going to do Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur like never before. Personalize it, be creative, be innovative, find ways. And you'll never forget it. And Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, unfortunately, of other years are pretty forgettable because we don't even remember what happened. So does that mean, does it justify the, the challenge? No, but it gives it purpose. And it teaches us there's deeper truths. And maybe the Abishta needed a way, maybe we all needed a good wake up call, a good kick, a good kick in the pants. You know, unfortunately, I don't know why it had to take lives and be so painful, but maybe that's what exactly what we need. And it makes us wake up and, Jacobson, and the, the one wake second, up. Your voice is, muted out one second. Go ahead. Robert Jacobson, your voice muted out one second. Did I mute it? Okay, one second. Especially two. Oh, it's me. Okay, good. Sorry, continue. I really finished. I finished what I said. So and the, the end line was that we can make this a pandemic limalusa, a positive storm of hisedus, of wake up. Remember, what's a wake up call? That's what Rambam says. That the Rem is in Tkir Shefer. is a wake up call. Uru yeshenim mitar Wake up the sleepy ones from your slumber. Right here, we have our wake-up call. More than any Rosh Hashanah before it. So when you blow Shafer in your home, or in your chatzar, or in the outdoor minion, or whatever, for your family, it'll be a Shafer like never heard before. That's what we must do. There's no really no option. Our children need to know that when, when history will be written, and we'll look back at this year, 2020, Tav Shimpei going into Tav Shimpei Aleph, they should remember that we did not cower in fear, we didn't retreat, we rose to the occasion, and we became better Jews, more committed, a stronger Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur than ever before. And this is going to be a lesson for their lives forever, because they'll know whenever a challenge comes, you rise to the occasion. You don't complain and say, oi, what are we going to do with this lockdown? Oi, this, oi, that. There's no oi. We don't complain, like we say, we don't say what's going to be, what's with Zion, we say, what are we going to do about it? That is the message, I believe, to Australia and to all of us in each place, wherever our challenges may be. Okay, beautiful. Well, let's go to closing now. Simon, I can only tell you that uh, there's a lot more questions here. Um, I have I have tons more. Can go all night. Um, I want to first of all- maybe, maybe we should. Maybe we go all the way to Russia, son. <laughs> let's go straight. Okay, you know something? I have one more question. It's actually two questions. I'll combine them into one. I think it's an important question for people that didn't join. We did. We touched on it in different areas, but I think it's a very important point. It's two questions. Can I, I'll read both, but I think it's a similar concept. First question was, my mother wasn't well when I was 16 years old. I davened and davened for her, and I didn't stop davening. She was, she's not with us anymore. I have a hard time davening after I feel my feelings weren't answers. Next question. There's so much misfortune in my life, so much pain. It has been like this for years, and it hasn't been changing. 
It seems like God just wants me to have pain. You know, there's, a, um, the, the, there's an expression called, there's a word in English called fatalism, which is antithetical to everything that Yiddishkeit stands for. First of all, my heart goes out to both people, each for their own challenges. I want to make sure that whatever I say should not be misunderstood as being insensitive. You know, when you tell somebody who's uh, gone through a challenge that I believe that you can be stronger, you always have the risk that it will sound, you know what, why aren't you just crying with me? Why don't you just acknowledge my pain? So I want to begin by saying that I absolutely do. And Yiddishkeit acknowledges pain. That's why, God forbid, we sit Shiva. We don't just say it's God's will, become stronger. There's a time, ace lift case, there's a time to cry. One of the Rebbes once told his chassid who suffered a great loss, I don't have answers for you, but I can cry with you. So I want to first establish that, that we cry together. You're not alone in your pain. At the same time, at the same time, we don't believe in helplessness. We don't believe that we are lost. We believe that we are sensitive human beings. We're vulnerable. We're fragile. We could be hurt. But we also know that which means God will not give us a challenge we cannot overcome. Sometimes you don't recognize right now. So I would say it's two stages. First, you have to perhaps grieve for the loss of a parent or for any loss. But then you don't stop there. We don't die. Look what the Jews did after World War II. They rebuilt. Not everybody was able to. And we don't judge them. We have to find inner strength because we need to some way redeem the loss. So even though it may appear that your prayer was not answered, maybe you think it wasn't answered. Maybe it was answered in a different way. Maybe it will still be answered and you don't know it yet. There's many ways to understand it. Regarding the person who says, everything I try doesn't work. Seems like God just has it in for me. I personally can never accept that. I accept that you're in pain and completely acknowledge it. But I would say, if you, maybe you need to speak to someone who perhaps can open up another option that you haven't explored yet. I've just seen too many times people telling me, I can't find a job. It seems like God doesn't want it. I can't find a shidduch. It seems like God is destined that I shouldn't have a shidduch. And then when I dig a little deeper, I see the person themselves is, not, is, is their own worst enemy. Either they don't have confidence, either they've given up, or they're unwilling to try new things. So I'm not looking to blame anybody, but don't just give up. Open your eyes, a new year comes, there's new blessings, there's new opportunities. Maybe make yourself a new friend or two. Maybe get another opinion. Open yourself up that you don't have it all figured out. There's nothing wrong with saying that. I'm not sure. I think it's a form of insecurity, but I don't know why people feel they have to have it all figured out. And if it doesn't work, then something's wrong. Maybe you don't have it all figured out. Maybe there are things you didn't calculate. And I'm as guilty as anybody. We all sometimes think, I did everything I could. But you have to have humility and say, you know what? Maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe there's something I'm missing. There's nothing wrong with saying that. You don't have to always be right and always have it figured out. So 
I hope I was able to convey that with a proper compassion and sensitivity. And are we concluding with this? Should I say some closing remarks? How do you, go ahead, you, you take it from here. That's why I'll tell everybody, don't leave Rav Simmons is gonna have a closing. Could I just stay to the closing? Okay, again, thank you Rav Simmons for coming on tonight. Yivam Shmachazak Doilam, again, Zaylnishmas Rav Shmayu, Ben Rav Yitzchak, Katzen, Yishlam Shav Bigali on his first yard site, which I knew. And in case anybody doesn't know, Rav Simmons and I, we uh, share Mechatonim, we share cousins. We also had a cousin that was nifted this year from COVID, right, Shlema. And uh, thank you again for coming on. It was really, it was a very powerful session. I mean, I can tell you from the text and that I'm getting on the screen that people are very, uh, very, very distraguish and they feel like very empowered and they feel like they actually could do something this year and be mechazek. Um, again, me and Menachem, we're gonna be taking a, a little break now for Yom Nerayim and uh, we'll be back Machem, October 18th. I'm sure you'll get a lot of emails and texts. I'm sure we're very good at that. And we'll definitely harass you as much as possible. And um, again, everything here tonight is recorded. It's going to be up by tomorrow by www.menachemburnfeld.com. If you have any questions, please email coachmenachem at gmail. If you want to speak to Simon, email him. We'll forward it to him. We'll get you in touch with him. Um, we have the share available on phone. This is share number 23. Um, it's all pre-recorded. If you want to hear it on the phone tomorrow, the number will be 732-924-8464. And again, I want to give a special thank you to all our advertising sponsors, Liquid Scoop, Chazak, C.O.L.A.V., Mikhail Sofer, and also J.C.N., Chayla Kalfin, and Shmuel Summer for always helping promote us. I would like to go to Coach Menachem to give us some closing words for Tuf Shin Pei. Rabbi Jacobson, I think it was uh, an important share tonight, special for uh, what we've gone through and to get ourselves ready for uh, the new year in Mitzvah And like we discussed throughout the whole share, that again, there are people who are really in pain and... Uh, they need the validation, validation. and uh, it's a journey. It takes time. But I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, in the closing, just for a minute, about appreciating and being grateful for what we do have. And that takes us back to what I discussed before. To really feel grateful takes us back, back to those feelings. But at the end of the day, no matter where somebody is, you can always find something to thank Hashem. And uh, like we always say, the, the glass half full or half empty, yes, it is painful. And we're not running away from the pain, but we have to start thanking Hashem. And obviously, to, that's where the feeling comes in, and which many people are looking for that. Like we heard before, logically, we know what's right and what's wrong, but we don't feel we're not connected. What we're looking for is the connection to, to, to know ourselves. So we really need the self-compassion to feel understood by ourselves, where we are, and, and eventually accept ourselves where we are. And that takes us to the, to the idea of making goals. So most people are not happy where they are, which it sounds good because we want to grow, we want to become closer, we want to conquer the world, do a lot. But that's where acceptance comes in. To grow, you really have to be okay with where you are to be able to take the next step and to be realistic with where you are, whichever level you are, to be able to take that small step, like we discussed. We need to take small steps, but you're not going to be happy when you find out I'm only on the, a two. I want to be on a nine. So I'm going to take, uh, make my goal on things that are for a person that it's on a nine. But if you are on a level of a two, that's where your growth is. And it, it, it's hard for many people to really to accept themselves where they are, 
and take Kabbalists that, that work for where they are. So it, it, it is a good intention, but then they wonder why it doesn't work at the end. So I want to venture everybody, and again, Rabbi Jacobson and everyone, we'll see you um, after the Yom Tovim. Yom Tovim could be a challenge. And uh, I guess we have some experience from the COVID, which people want things to be back to normal. Yom Tovim is not always the routine days. It's different. And then we have family and other things going on, which we can face sometimes things we don't like, but look out for the things that are working, self-compassion, self-love, and then self-care. So then, you know, it's already time to eat the matzah, ready time to eat the chasois. That's how we know when it's time for the closing. So please leave the oil in the chuzik and empowered. And uh, you got the final words of Tav Shempei from Coach Manasseh's program. Thank you again, first of all, to the host, Usher and Menachem and all of you, really uh, special. And yes, as you said, if anybody has further questions, wants to access me, myself, it's pretty easy to do so. Please give them my address, but it's meaningfullife.com is the website where you can reach and find a lot of resources and programs as well as answer, write to me and I'll be happy to answer any further questions. Let me say the following. I'll say this hopefully from heart to heart. Let's get real. Yeah, well, we've been real. Let's try to sum it up. And I, I, I always find that maybe the biggest question that people have, which lies at the heart of so many of our challenges and, uh, and difficulties, is self-esteem, or we'll call it security. Insecurity is so much at the root of so many of our fears inhibitions, inability to make a move, being frozen, dealing with a challenge, uncertainty. Look what uncertainty can do. Suffolk is gematria amolik. Doubts. Clarity is a great blessing. So Rosh Hashanah, which is the single most important day in the year, is the beginning of the year. We call it Reish Hashanah, New Year. But Reish, the head of the year, its essential message is, and I'll just put it in simple English, is that you are indispensable, that you matter now and forever. I can't tell you how many people wonder whether they're significant. Remember, there are 7.8 billion people on this planet, billion and counting. You could say to yourself, one in 7.8 billion? It's like a grain of sand on a beach. It's insignificant. What difference does it make? If I wasn't born, would anyone care? Comes Rosh Hashanah and declares that the Abishta created the human being. Even though the creation of the world was six days earlier, 25th of Elul, Rosh Hashanah is called the Rosh Hashanah because the crown jewel, the centerpiece of existence is the human being that God created in the divine image which means it has a piece of God where we are indispensable, not negligible. That means that your choices, your decisions, your actions matter now and forever. It's the worst thing to find out that whatever I do in life, who really cares? It's a drop in a bucket, not even that. But when you hear 
that on Rosh Hashanah, God renews his contract, the birthday of the human race, which means the birthday of you and I and every individual. And God says, I'm renewing your contract, my vote of confidence in you. You are necessary and indispensable. I keep repeating that word. That means you're not replaceable. What you have to accomplish, you and only you can accomplish. When you understand that in your heart of hearts, it changes everything because the world is depending on you. It's not like, oh, I do it, great, I don't do it. Imagine someone invites you to a project and they say, we need you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. We're going to the hospital to help needy children. And then you'll say, 6 a.m.? I'm tired, you sure you need me? And the guy tells you, you know what? If you don't come, it's also fine. That's gonna be a big motivator, right? You're gonna go right back to sleep, why would you go? But if he tells you, we must have you, you're necessary, you're absolutely necessary. You must, we must have you. Without you, we can't get it done. It's a whole different attitude. That's what Hashem is telling every human being, every Jew, every one of us on Rosh Hashanah. I don't know if there's a more empowering statement that the creator of it all, Abraham himself, is saying that you are indispensable. You're absolutely necessary. That makes your decisions important. That makes your every move that you do significant. Once you have significance, everything else follows. I have no doubt that most psychological issues we deal with would be resolved, pre preempted, if you knew that every move you make changes the world forever. So I want to say to every one of us, this is not just words. This is actually the reality. Whether you believe it or not, whether you have that same confidence in yourself or not, maybe some people in your life, unfortunately, parents or society or others knocked it out of you. But each of us has that uniqueness. You have your unique song and you need to sing it. The song of Hashem, the Shir La Hashem, Shir Chodosh. Rosh Hashanah is an opportunity to reconnect to that pure moment when you were born, where Hashem said, I sent you here, you are my child, you have all my keiches, you can accomplish anything you set your mind to do, you have a unique mission and never ever forget it. Something we need to remember and we need to tell our children on a daily basis. It's the, be the best defense is offense. The best way to empower our children, to empower ourselves is knowing to be proactive. You need to influence others, not wait around for someone to influence you, to be proactive, to initiate. My father, as a journalist, would tell me there are three types of people. People who make things happen, people who watch things happen, and people who ask, what happened? We, have, we, the Jewish people especially, always make things happen. Shem should bless each one of you, that you should make things happen in your own personal life, in your home life, your community, and the larger world. Make things happen. That's what we're here for, to be proactive, to be preemptive. Everyone, every one of you, the organizers of this beautiful program, materially, spiritually, all in the best of health. Those need to be blessed with healthy children, with shiduchim, finding the right soulmate. Health, parnasa, livelihood in abundance. The Ebrist has unlimited resources and should be a truly gebench to yar in the year of actually some saying, Pay Aleph is Ployas Arenu from the Posak Arenu Nuflois. 
that we should talk and see wonders, miracles in our lives. And above all, the greatest one that we've been waiting for, that all the prayers and all the actions are the building blocks to lead to the Gula Mitis Vashlema, where we will have Mola Oretz Deus Hashem. It will be a world filled, not with a pandemic, but with Deus Hashem, knowing God, serving God, and connecting to Hashem. So I thank you again. Good Geben Shiyar to everybody. Thank you, everybody. Good Geben Shiyar. See you after your time. Shalom. Shalom.